In this episode of the Encourage Inspire podcast, I'm joined by Emmy Award winning creative activist, author, and the co-founder of Crip Hop Nation, Leroy Moore. Uh, this was a fun episode, man, because Leroy and I are brothers in the sense of the special needs community, him being born with super palsy as well as I am. And uh, I got connected to Leroy with from uh, a colleague of mine, Roger Brasswick, who featured me in his Black History uh, features of to include disability inclusion and awareness for people with disabilities. And I just knew once I connected with this guy, Leroy, uh, Leroy Moore, I had to have him on my pod. Uh, Leroy is a guy that was, you know, um, really about making people feel included and uh, and letting people know that people with disabilities matter. Um, that was something that I could really get from listening and talking to him. Uh, we talked about, you know, him uh, creating an uh, organization of Crip Hop that became an internationally known organization with on fixed income as its high dollars. And he created several organizations of that of that nature um and he is somebody that grew up in new york city uh born in new york city grew up in Hartford, Connecticut, and then moved to the bay in 1991 and um he's somebody that also started several other organizations like i said the national black disability coalition uh, disability Advocates of Minorities Organization and Sins Invalid. Um, he's also done a lot of cultural work. Uh, created a documentary called Where is Hope? Police Brutality Against People with Disabilities where they release CDs, poetry books, and a children's book. He's also created a, a, a graphic novel uh, which is really cool as well as he's won several awards in um, for the work he's done and he's traveled all over the world to connect to other people with disabilities and really sharing a message of hope and that we should all matter I hope you guys enjoy this episode Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Encourage Inspire podcast. This is episode number 47, and I've got a very special guest with me today, Mr. Leroy Moore. How you doing, Leroy? Man? How you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. Oh, man, Leroy, it's been a pleasure, man. Um, you know, I was saying before we started, record, before we started recording, uh, my buddy Roger L. Brathwaite, who I believe is related to one of my other mentors, Leslie Brathwaite, who is a mix, enge- a mix engineer. They have to be related because they look alike. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but I could be wrong, <laughs> but I think they are. Um, but let, uh, but but Roger connected with me on LinkedIn and he saw what I was doing, you know, uh, as far as in the music industry. And he made me one of his black history uh black history features last month. You see, okay. man, I want to connect you to the, I want to connect you to my man Leroy. And like, you know, then he connected us and I said, man, I said, 
and I got to get this guy on, on the podcast because as we were saying before, usually on this pod, I usually cover one of three topics, you know, um, discipline awareness, obviously music business topics or people's stories that encourage and inspire me. And I mean, mm-hmm. you've done so much in the creative space, you know, and, and, and you know, and, and what you're doing and what you're doing as an activist and, and author mm-hmm. is incredible, you know, and, and as well yeah. as, you know, I know you're getting your, your doctorate, you pursuing your doctorate and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but after, after getting a chance to check out your bio and, and checked out a couple of videos on YouTube, I said, man, this, you know, it was pretty, pretty impressive. And you've been doing this a long time, way longer than I've been doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, it's just a pleasure to have you here, man. Well, thank you so much. You know, like I said, you know, off, off Brian, it's it's it, it, it's exciting to see another black disabled man, you know, doing his stuff because you know you really don't see that in today's society. So, no, you really don't. Thank, thank you for reaching out and thank you for you know collaborating and you know, keep on doing your work. Yeah. Definitely, man. Definitely. Yeah, you know, we all, you know, I always say, man, the the set, the, the disabled special needs committee, have you want to have you want to talk, um, have you want to define it? It's like a lot of times we are not talked about. We are not. People don't seem to, to, to I don't want to say they don't give a rat's ass, but you just you don't you don't see a lot of people. I mean, again, shout out to Roger, who 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 makes it a point to to, to point that stuff out and make it aware of what we have going on, but a lot of people aren't doing that. They're not talking about inclusion and awareness and making sure that we are not forgotten about. You know, you know it, it, it's funny that, that we start there because, you know, I, I, I have big time issues with this inclusionary period that, you know, Hollywood and tech is on. It's like right. everybody's pushing inclusion and, you know, it's a new model. It's like, right. what the hell? We've right. been here since Moses. You know, we were trying to disability. That's yeah. like, I'm 54 years old. Right. And we're talking about this like, like it's new. It's right. not new, you know? <laughs> right. And, and what, what I see, who's really, um, who's really um, benefited from it is white disabled people. I was like, yeah, how can you talk about inclusionary, you know, diversity, racial right. justice? Uh, I see white disabled people, you know, getting all the media spots, right? You know, uh, in Hollywood, getting all the movies. It's like, right. it's, it's, you know, it's just, it's yeah. Just, I mean, you know, yeah. People don't want people. People are trying to be quote-unquote, socially responsible. I mean, that's a big thing. A lot of people are trying to be, you know, socially responsible when it comes to things. And the truth is, they don't talk to us much. They don't want to find out what what what, what we have going on, you know? Because, again, like I said, unfortunately, a lot, a lot of because a lot of people with disabilities, let's be real, like, you know, unless you're on a high-function, unless you're on a high, I have cerebral, I mean, I have cerebral palsy. My cerebral palsy is... Yeah, me too. Is, yeah, okay, so we're both CP guys. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so... so you know, my CP is spastic diplegia, and what that means is, and I'm it's the most common one, but what that means is when you lift my legs up to a certain point, you know, the muscles get tight. You know, and I've been fortunate yeah. where I've only had one surgery, 1990. Yeah, yeah, me too. 
Yeah, yeah. we're very, very, very fortunate, you know, because I know my yeah. roommate who has spina bifida is in a wheelchair. He's had, I think, 10 surgeries, which is, which is, I think, pretty common yeah, for people that have that stuff. But I don't, you know, but, but well, I, I bring it up to say that a lot of times, you know, people with disabilities, unless you're not high functioning, like with autism, my cousin Joey has autism, he's high functioning, you know, so, so he drives a car, he works a job and deals with things like that, you know, but unless you're high functioning, most people aren't going to, people with disabilities are going to probably work, you know, they're going to work part-time, they're going to collect a disability check, you know what I mean? Or, or if, if they do, that's probably the most that they're going to do, you know? And which is nothing wrong with having a benefits check. I get, I collect mine every month, and I'm more than glad yeah, to do that. more than yeah. glad to do that. But I'm also still building a company and doing the things that I do. And and, and yeah. you know, because I, I I think that personally, man, I think we should get our check no matter what we do in life. And it, unfortunately, it's yeah. it's not set up that way, but it should be. Where because yeah, yeah. Not, we can't just go work any job we want to or do anything we want to. We're you know and, and, and so fortunately it's not set up that way. But in a perfect world, I wish it was. But it's just one of those things where you know I do my best to use my voice um, to let people know that you know just because we have a special need that looks different or we might need help with certain things does not mean we don't deserve to be taken seriously with things. And oh, no, yeah. I tell, I, tell, I tell people that that me and Keith, Keith Jones, we I started an international movement on SSI dollars. Okay. We started Crip Hop on SSI dollars. You know? Right, right, so right. I, I tell people, you know, take, take that little money and start shit, you know. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I I started like three, four organizations since '95 on SSI dollars. Oh wow, that's impressive. You know, I know like, it's, and it's not a lot of money, it's just, especially back then. You know, it's not a lot of money yeah. now. And imagine what it, what it was back then. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you know I, I traveled the world. We went to South Africa, UK, Canada, all on SSI dollars. So it's not, wow. it's, not, it's not like you can't do anything. Right. You, you, you have a, a mindset to say, okay, I'm going to take these, these dollars, I'm going to create something that's, you know, out of the box. Right. And that's what I did. I, I quit my job because I was, I was working at um, a nonprofit in like in 90, what, 96, 97. I quit my job. Right. <laughs> Then I started my own organization. I did that for five years. I got, I got sick of writing grants all the time, so I quit that. Um, me and my friends started another organization called Sins Invalid that's still around. But I left that and I started Crip Hop, and now we're doing Crip Hop. So it's like three organizations that I helped start on SSI Dollars. You oh, know? man. So, that- that, that that's incredible, man. Yeah, you know, I was I started out with SSI, you know, and then I went to work for a little bit. Then I transitioned over to SSDI, and yeah, and, yeah. it's still not. It, it's it, if you think about it, the only difference is you know, 
you know, you get to draw on your social security early versus, you know, because I, I did put money into the system so I could draw on that. Versus yeah, people yeah, who have yeah. had SSI never, who've never made me worked. Like George. Yeah, yeah, and you know, so it's just one of those things where, you know, you know, again, by no means, it's, it's not a lot of money, but what, what it has done for me is allowed me to live my life on my terms. Exactly. exactly. I, 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 that's what it's done for me, right? So when I left, when I left Full Sail University, and I love Full Sail University, I'm very fortunate that I was able to get a, a, a go to go there for free because of uh, what we call what they call a total permanent disability waiver, where the government I took I took out loans and the government was able to wipe that out, so I got a free education. So I'm very fortunate, and and when I graduated from Full Sail University. There's this thing called vocational rehabilitation. You may be familiar with them. So yeah, yeah. oh yeah. So yeah. you know, so yeah. voc rehab is you know their job is to help people with disabilities get gainfully employed, right? And so yeah. I knew that they could not really help me because most of their clients are just regular people with disabilities who want to get a job, whether it's working in day as a dishwasher folding clothes at a department store, something, right? Or customer service at a, at a and I used to do customer service at a, at Sears working, working on the phone and things like that. And so I knew after graduation, because entertainment is a different industry, they weren't going to have the relationships <laughs> to help me, you know? So, yeah. so initially yeah. I started out with them as a client and then they actually asked me to come work for them as a job advocate, as a job advocate for about six mm-hmm. months. Yeah. So I went to work for them. This was in August of 2016. After I graduated in February of 25th, I started my company, my, my second, this is my second company. I started Double Management Marketing Group in February of 2015. And I started working for them like a few months later uh, in August of that year. And we worked together for six months and at Christmas, we they normally it was a family it was a family owned business, you know. So essentially, what happens is for every job they place on a client, that the the, the state pays the money, right? The state pays them a certain amount of dollars to to you know to hire to be hired and they have a probate. But the thing is, the the, the, the client has to stay there. The, the 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 disabled person has to be at that job for at least they pay you out in increments. So they pay you out after 30 days, 60 days, and 90 days. So they make it past 90 days, then you get the full payment, the full out, you know, then that's when the, because, you know, somebody will start a job, something will happen, or do an outburst. And most yeah. most, most corporate companies, they're not trained, again, going back to disability inclusion, they're not trained on how to handle people with disabilities. They're not yeah. trained on, for instance, right, so... Let's say you maybe have somebody that starts a job at Burlington Co-Factory, right? So they go to the bathroom, and then when they walk into the bathroom, and they, they see the guy masturbating or whatever, and they're like, oh, my God, why did he do that? I said, I laugh. I said, that means the kid's normal. <laughs> That's what that means. You know, yeah. he, he, he can't compute in his brain that he's at work. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. when people don't understand, like, it, it, it's not so... Oh my God! Why would he do that? You got to understand. He they're disabled. They don't. Their brains don't function how you know a normal brain functions. So just so a lot of times they would get fired for stuff like that because people aren't trained 
on like they they're not people are they they don't train these companies on how to handle situations like that, and they think it's a one size fits all. Well, they, well the, the the thing is is that you know back in the eighties, back in the, back when um, the rehab act passed, uh huh, all, all all this funding was for training. Uh-huh. So once again, I don't, I don't fall for that because we, we we've done that. The thing, the thing is, is that these companies just don't want to do it. You know? They don't, right? Exactly. So, they, don't, they don't, they don't care. They don't. Because again, it goes back to not valuing us, yeah. not valuing us. Um, I remember there was a story here locally in Tampa where a, a, a father had bought a car wash for his son because his son had autism. And one thing about autistic people is that when they when they when they figure out they love something they learn everything about it they're very detailed oriented people mm-hmm. right so once you show them how to do it they're going to do it that 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 way every single time mm-hmm. right so that's there's, there's so there actually is a lot of good good things with that because something yeah. like a car wash you show them how to wash and car and drive it. They're going to do it right every single time. So what happened was this father ended up buying the car wash so that his son could have a place to work. He could keep an eye on him and spend time with him. They ended up hiring a whole staff full of kids with people, you know, adults and young people with autism and realized like, wow, this is pretty cool, you know? And it ended up being a, a positive thing. So there are ways to... To, to highlight people with disabilities and show that they all we are that we are all valuable members of society. Mm-hmm. We should be treated as that versus just okay, you're here, but they don't have empathy. Yeah, they might feel a little bit sorry, but they don't really they don't really believe in us. It's like okay, you're here, we acknowledge you somewhat, but it's like no, take us seriously. It's take, you know, and like you said, people. Oh, yeah, it's, it's also it's like just, just just follow the law. You know, that's that's why we have laws on the books. Just follow the law, and, and our government doesn't follow the law. They don't. Right. They, they they haven't fully fund, you know, IDEA since '73. Right. You know, they you know under 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 Obama. They they weaken the ADA, so the ADA now is weakened. So so it's not it's not like we're asking anything. It's just it's like you know follow the law. The, the laws are on the books. Follow the law, right? But but you know governments don't do that. That that's why you have special education is is a cycle, man. Because I used to work. I used to work as an um, special education um, advocate. Right. So I, I used to go into these IEPs. Right. And it's as like, and this was like 90, 98, 99, something like that. And right. it was the same story as 1970s. I was like, why is this the same story? Because IDA is not fully funded, so it's not fully enforced. So, right. so we we have laws on the books, but it's not fully enforced. It's you know this this country is whack. This country says okay, disabled people, you know, you're included. You know, go get a job, but 
<laughs> how can I be included if my laws are not enforced? Right. <laughs> you know? Right. It's, it's, it's why. Yeah. I totally understand, man. Totally understand. So yeah, so I wanna I wanna get into your story, your personal story a little bit. And like I said, you know, your Emmy Award winning and there's award winning in general, but most recently an Emmy Award winning, you know, uh, act creative activist and author, which is absolutely incredible with, mm. with some of the great things that you're doing, man. Um so yeah, so are you where are you originally from? Are you originally from the West Coast? No, I originally from Buffalo, New York. I grew up in New York City. Oh yeah, oh, okay. Connecticut. I was I was born in Brooklyn. My parents, my parents are both from Jamaica. Okay, and then my mom grew up in New York. My dad, you know, and then we and then my mom moved us, me and my sister, uh, to Orlando in 1993. Uh, so I said I'm a native New Yorker, but I don't know New York. <laughs> Like, yeah. you know, uh, but my yeah. sister has since moved back there. She's moved. She now lives. She, you know, I have a twin sister who doesn't have a disability. We, what's interesting is, so me and my sister were, were both born prematurely, right? Mm-hmm. Which is obviously one of the one of the key factors in CPA. Yeah. Like, yeah. so yeah. it was what's interesting is that she came. I came home first before she did. Okay. She stayed in the hospital seven weeks longer than I did. But at about but at about a year old, my mom she was she was doing everything quote unquote normal at the time, and my mom and dad was having to prop my back up with a pillow, so they mm-hmm. knew something. Okay, they're like something's not right here, like something something isn't right. So they ended up taking me to the doctor, and they said, well, he has uh, acute spastic diplegia, cerebral palsy. But by the time he's three, he's gonna walk. So that's what they told us originally. My mom and dad originally. And then at about five years old, like I said, I was using a walker. That's when I had my surgery, tendon release surgery. Because, you know, uh, usually when people with CP, when they're born, they walk on their toes. Yeah. So we had tendon release surgery. So I walk on the sides of my feet, which again, which is normal. Um, and then, you know, in, in 1992, I started using crutches and I've been on crutches ever since. So yeah, so um, yeah, so this would be thirty years or so that I've been using crutches. Uh, a wheelchair, I would try to use a wheelchair right there, but it, it, it would slow me down. I said, like I said, I, I gotta be on, I gotta be on crutches. But like my roommate, yeah. my roommate who has spine bifida, it's the reverse. He's in a wheelchair, so crutches would slow him down. So yeah, it's yeah. it's kind of the reverse. But um, but yeah, man. So we're originally from 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 New York. We grew up, but I've been I've been in Orlando. This will be uh, this year will be twenty nine years. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah. So so yeah. So you're from New York City. Yeah, New York City. I grew, grew up in New York, grew up in Hartford, Connecticut. I moved to the Bay Area in ninety one. Okay. So I've been in California since ninety one. Nice. And last year I moved to LA for a PhD program. Okay. Nice. Awesome. Awesome, man. Cool. Cool. So I always like to ask this question, man. What was your first introduction to music? When did you first realize that, you know, music was something uh, that you loved? Oh, man. My my music takes us all over the place because I grew up in the suburbs. 
So I, I was a hard, I was a hard rocker. I like Ozzy Osbourne and ECDC. Right. This, this is um, before hip hop came out. Right, right. So I was a hard rocker, you know, and I, I, I had um, my my eight track player. Right. Because I was, you know, I grew, I grew, I was born in '67. Okay. So I grew up in the '70s and '80s. So I had my eight-track player, and I, I I was listening to like Hard Rock and the Jackson Five, right. um, you know, everything. And so when hip hop dropped in the late seventies, I was like, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> you know. Right, so I got right, I got on the hip hop, you know, train, and yeah. I love, I, you know, I I also love the blues. Okay. I, I I say that you know I love hip hop, but the blues look like me. Gotcha. You know? Interesting. Okay. There, there's so many black disabled men in, in in the blues. You know. Right. I I didn't know that, but I of course watching your 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 your, your video, I know I picked up on that. Yeah. Uh, man, that that that's cool, man. That's cool. So. So, you know, you're the founder of Crip Hop Nation. So, yeah. So, so define to me, I mean, obviously, I kind of know what it is, but how would you define it? So, I'm one of the founders. It's me, Keith Jones, and the late Rob and Ice Temple. Okay. So, it's almost like 15 years ago. Okay. So, we we define Crip Hop as you know, it's an international network of um, disabled musicians that do hip hop. It's not only hip hop. You know, we we have soul singers, we have poetry. I'm a poet, but 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 really, really, hip hop was born because we, me, Keith, and Rob. You know, we said, you know, where where's disabled people in hip hop? Yeah, you know, we, there is there isn't much. There isn't many of the that there isn't many that people recognize. You know. Yeah, exactly. You know, for me growing up in New York, you know, I saw the diversity in hip hop because I was there in the corner, you know, in the Bronx and Brooklyn, you know, seeing ciphers. So I saw the rich diversity in hip hop before it became, you know, corporate. So, so I saw, you know, hip hop artists on crutches, break dancing, and stuff like that. But when, when it became corporate and, you know, was on MTV and became an international billion dollar industry, the, the disability was erased. So, you know, you, you never see a physically disabled hip hop artists. So that's that's why we started Crip Hop. You know, it's been like fifteen, I think I think more than fifteen years. Um we're international, we have chapters in Africa, Brazil, um everywhere. Um now 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 the the big thing with Crip Hop now that I'm in LA and doing a PhD is that we're trying to start a Crip Hop Institute. Okay. So we're gonna take over a building here. 
and have a crip hop institute where, you know, people like us, when we were younger, there, there was no place to go. Right. So now they can have, they can come to Crip Hop Institute and learn learn about technology and disability, learn about you know music and disability. You know, um, we also have visual arts. So for the last the last five years, I've been hiring people all across the globe to do visual art pieces. So we have these are our pieces from Africa, Brazil, you know, all all, all across US. So we're gonna have a visual art gallery there at the Crip Hop Institute. So that's 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 the vision for Crip Hop. And we, we gotta we gotta do it in three years because the Olympics and the Paralympics is coming to LA. So we wanted to be up before that. So all the athletes can come to the Crip Hop Institute and just learn. So oh, that that's amazing, man. Um that's amazing. Uh for sure. Definitely, man. You're, you're, uh, that's awesome. That is awesome. Love that. So I want to get into some more of your work. I would like to so you know, since the 1990s, you know, you've been you've been part of Poor Magazine, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, Poor Magazine. And you started yeah. there with a column entitled Illin' and Chillin'. Yeah. And then you were a founding member of their school, Homefulness. Yeah. Decolonized Academy. So, you know, talk yeah. to me about what, what that is. Talk to me about what Poor Magazine's all about first. Oh, yeah. Poor Magazine kicks ass. Yeah. Poor Magazine... I got involved with Poor Magazine back in 90, I think it was like 93. Right. I was, I was, I was doing open mic and back then open mic was hot in the Bay Area. It was hot. It was everywhere. Right. And me being a poet, I was like, okay, let's do this. So I was performing in Berkeley at this black theater. And they used to have open mic every Thursday. I used to go down there and do open mic. And one time, um, Tiny from Porn Magazine and her mother, her mother passed away a couple of years ago, but her mother and Tiny was in the audience. And I got done doing like three poems. And they say, oh my God, can, can you write for Porn Magazine? I was like, yeah. So that, that's when I started to call Ellen and Chillin. And the reason why we chose that title, because we, because the, the first story was on a police shooting here in LA of Margaret L. Mitchell. And Margaret L. Mitchell was a, um, was, was a black woman with mental health disabilities. Okay. So we 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 played with the title Ellen and Chillin, and we played with the title. And I wrote an article about that police shooting back in I think I think it was ninety six ninety seven. So so yeah, so that's that's how I got involved with Core Magazine. I've been there ever since. I saw them. Um, raise funds and buy um, a piece of property in East Oakland. East Oakland 
is 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 one of the black black neighborhoods in Oakland, and they're right. still black because you know gentrification, but it's still black, and they um they rescued what he's called they rescued a piece of land, and now um they have been building houses, they have um a school there. And I was um, a teacher there. They also do a radio station, which I do a radio show, Crip Hop, the Wednesday, Thursday, every Thursday. So, yeah, Poor Magazine's been doing a lot of work for decades, decades. As a matter of fact, they teamed up with my organization back in the 90s called Display Advocates of Minorities Organization that I used to run. And we did the first public hearing around police brutality with disabilities. Right. So, yeah. Interesting, interesting stuff, man. And speaking of that, you know, um, the organizations that you founded. So you founded, or, or, or at least one of the founding members, if not the the National Black Disability Coalition. I didn't even know these things existed, man. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Um. So, so yeah, and then obviously, as an activist around, you know, brutality against people with disabilities, you help start organizations like Disability Advocates of Minorities yeah. Organization and SINs Invalid that you, you mentioned earlier. Yeah. So, so you know, what what made you want to start these 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 different these different organizations? Obviously, you know. Is to put is to create awareness, obviously for people. But you know, I'm sure it's even yeah. deeper than that for you. Yeah, no, it goes way deeper than that. Um, I, I I had a chance to travel to the UK after I graduated from my undergrad, mm-hmm. and back then I think it was ninety five, ninety six. Back then, our London had a huge black disabled movement. I was like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to London just check it out. And when I got there, it, it was almost, you know, taping off. But I, 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 um, I talked to people there, and I saw black disabled people organizing. Okay. And they, and they said, yeah, we have to do it because the disability rights movement. Is you know still have racism? I was like, yes. I mean, I've been talking about that for years back back in the states. So when when I saw that, I came back home and I quit my job. I was working at a nonprofit, you know, disabled nonprofit, and you know, I was making good money. But I realized I was like, okay, this white. This little nonprofit is not going to do what I saw in London, so so I quit that, and then that's when I started disability advocates of minorities organizations because I really wanted to concentrate on black and brown and people of color with disabilities because I, for for years I mean I volunteered and worked in disability spaces since the eighties, right. So I, I, I've been in so many organizations, but when when I came back from the when I saw in London, 
a block to say, oh, moon. I was like, okay, that's it, that's it. I can't, I, I can't go back working with these organizations because, like, oh, like Martin Luther King said, I've been to the mountaintop. You know, I've right, been to right. the mountaintop. I saw, I saw my future. Right. I, I can't go back working with these organizations. So that's why I did. I, I quit my job. And me and my friend Gary Norris Gray got together and we started Display Advocates of Minorities Organization. We, you know, we got a nonprofit status. But, you know, we got a couple grants and we just went from there. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome, man. For sure. Cool. <laughs> and then you've obviously done a lot of cultural work, including a film doc. You know, where's hope? Police. I think you just talked yeah. about that police brutality against people yeah. with disabilities. You've done spoken word CDs, poetry books, children's books, you know, black history, black disabled art history, one on one published by, I want to say, Zocto. Zocto Justice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. And, and so, you know, talk to you about, about some of that stuff, you know, what's the. The film doc and, and the children's yeah, book. you know, going back to police brutality work. You know, I've I've been an advocate against police brutality against people with disabilities going back to the eighties. Um, because I was just walking outside of my father's. My father used to have these meetings, okay. you know, in the community. And in these meetings, they're talking about police brutality. This is back in the 80s, so this is way before Black Lives Matter. Right. People think Black Lives Matter is new. And it's like, no, it's not new. But anyway, <laughs> so, so I was walking outside of the meeting, and I ran into this um, white, white disabled activist that was trying to get me involved with the disability rights movement. And, and I asked him, I was like, well, you know, if I get involved, you have to take out police brutality work. Because, you know, my black disabled brothers and sisters can't come outside because they're getting shot up by police. Right. So, you know, back then, you know, all, all the disability organizations were done with curb cuts and all that stuff. I was like, well, that's good and all, but we can't, you can't enjoy the curb crutches. We can't go outside because we're getting shot by police. Right. And then they say, no, we, we, we're not working on that. We're only working on this issue. I was like, well, I can't, I can't join you then because I'm working on police brutality. Right. So that's, so that's when I got involved. And, and, that, and that's when that's when I saw the the racial divide in the disability rights movement. I was like, "Wow, right? Okay, you guys get talk about curb cuts, but black disabled men and women are getting killed by police." It's like, "Wow, I'm like that's a line right there." Right. So when when I saw that, I was like, "Okay, I can't, I can't, can't go back." So that, that's when I started doing police brutality um, advocacy, going to police commission meetings, um, talking to parents that, that lost their 
disabled sons and daughters by police brutality. And this goes up to the 90s when I moved to the Bay Area and got involved with Four Magazine. And we did, uh, me, Four Magazine and my organization, Demo, did um, a public hearing on police brutality and people with disabilities. And that was the first, the first public hearing of public event on that issue. So um, we, we did after three mothers lost their black and brown disabled sons by police brutality. We had all the mothers talk about that issue. Um, Poor Magazine did this, um, did this, what, whoa, did this practice that, that they still do saying that we will never call the police. You know, we will try to make things work, but we'll never call the police. And now Poor Magazine does a workshop and they put out a book called, you know, entitled Never Call the Police. And they and they do trainings on how, how to solve problems with, without calling the police. So that, 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 that brings me up to where is hope. So where is hope became reality um, after I found Emmett Till of being a black newspaper. I, I saw that Emmett Till um, had a play um, on Katina, you know, the, 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 um, the um, what, what happened in New Orleans, you know, the flood in New Orleans. So back then, Emmett did a play about Katina and he had a disabled um, black woman as, as one, of the, one of the characters. It's like, oh, this is great. So I reached out to him, and it comes to find out that Emmett was a retired um, NYP officer. I was like, wow, what? Uh, Emmett, Emmett had really strong politics. And I, you know, and and, and he, he he had um, a disability, but wasn't really deep in disability issues. Right. So I I talked about police brutality, and he's like, "Oh, Leroy, let, let's do a film together." So that's that's where where it's, that's how where it's hope came, and we did that film. It's, it's the only film around police brutality, and black disabled people. And what's, what's so interesting is that we did this film on, like, like the same time when Black Lives Matter started. Okay. And we reached out to Black Lives Matter. We reached out to all the police brutality groups, and nobody wanted to touch it. <laughs> okay. So we said, I was like, we said, okay, let's, let's do it, you know, ourselves. And we did it ourselves. And now it's, you know, it's been, it's been up for like five years now. So, you know, people and universities and other people, you know, watches it. And it's, you know, it's, it is one of the best um, 
five projects that that we done. So so we we did a movie and we did a CD around police brutality and people with disabilities. Okay, awesome. That's awesome, man. Awesome stuff. <clears throat> and then you also did a. You also published a graphic novel. Yeah. So that's yeah. so so that's entitled, you know, um Disabled Young Woman Superhero Bring Disability Justice to Hip Hop. Yeah. In twenty nineteen. So yeah, so talk to you about that. Like I said, man, you've done so many cool things. Uh-huh. You know, so many cool things. And I'm glad we're able to, to touch on, uh, on on several of these. Yeah, um, thank you. Yeah, me. so the, the graphic novel kind of talk talk to you about that. What was the inspiration behind, you know, one yeah, graphic so, novel? So the graphic novel came out under Poor Magazine. Poor Magazine has a, has a press called Poor Press. Yeah. They, they put out books like twice a year. And the, the, the idea came to me after I interviewed years ago, M.F. Grimm. M.F. Grimm is a hip-hop artist um, in the 80s, and um, he got shot in New York, and now now he's a person with, with a disability. And his his graphic novel came out, came out uh, years ago. And when I saw that, I was like, dude, <laughs> You know, he's disabled, he's doing hip-hop, he has his graphic novel, so I, I've always wanted to to put out my graphic novel, and um, I had a chance to do it, so my graphic novel takes place in New York, of course, and um, a black teenager, um, young, young, young lady, is is the lead character, and see and she has low self esteem until she finds hip hop on the web, and as she finds hip hop, she you know her wheelchair becomes hip hop, and her wheelchair has like um, you know a deck, and she's it's going to New York. Um, DJing, you know, spray painting, you know, and she's, she's a poet. So the 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 the, the, um, the main story is that at the end, you know, she goes back in time and she sees me in New York outside of a cipher in the Bronx. I, I used to do that. I used to go to LeBron and go to Cyprus and just look. So she saw me, you know, outside of Cypher and she she showed me my future of Crip Hop. So that's so that that's the main focus of 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 that issue. I'm working on the second issue where you see she is, you know, all, all the elders of Crip Hop because I'm, I'm an elder, I'm 54, and, you know, and Keith. So all the elders get together in New York, and we're coming, we're coming from Rob Denoy's funeral, 
And, you know, everybody's like, oh, we're getting old. We have to pass on the torch. So we pass on the torch to um, to, to Roxanne. Roxanne is the young lady. And, and, and that issue deals with Roxanne taking the torch and, and having a meeting with us at the Stromberg Center, which is interesting because I've always wanted to get into Stromberg Center. I mean, even when I was a little kid, I used to pass it. Okay. And I used to say, Mom, I'm going to get into that Stromberg Center. I'm going to bring Black disabled history in that, in that Stromberg Center. So, so it's interesting that um, Steve has a meeting with us in the Schomburg Center, and she's showing me, she's showing Crip House Elders um, the, the archives of Crip House and Black Disabled in the Schomburg Center. So, so she's, she's trying to do her work as a leader of Crip House, so we're, we're just meaning to say, okay, you know, go, go, go fly and go take on the, the next generation of um, disabled people in hip hop. So, so I'm, I'm working on that on, on the second issue. Yeah. Very cool, man. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Samantha, I want to I wanna end the episode and I want to just talk about some of the work you've done. In, in really internationally and bringing yeah. people from other parts of the world to the States. Yeah. Yeah. So you talk, you, you put together the African 2019, you put together the, the African disabled musicians Bay, Bay area tour, right. With musicians from Uganda, yeah. Tanzania, the democratic Republic of Congo. So tell me about, yeah. What made you want to do that? Yeah, I, you know, Crip Hop wanted to do that because our, our African chapters are just blowing up. I mean, they, 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 they just kick ass and they kick ass with like no no money. You know, you, you think that we have it bad? I mean, there's no SSI in Uganda. Right, 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 right. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I so Crip Hop wanted to do this tour around the Bay Area because I was living in you know Berkeley at the time, and you know it, it took us like a year and a half to, to organize it because I, I had to write letters to to each artist you know just to get their visas and stuff like that. Right. You know, so we had to be in contact constantly. Um, I got the venues, all that stuff. So, so yeah, it, it happened. And once again, I tell people this happened on SSI dollars. I didn't, I didn't have a grant. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not Jay Z. You know, this happened from my pocket, and all the artists came came to Berkeley. He slept in like one big room apartment. Everybody slept on the floor. So it was it, it was grassroots. But but we, we did it. We had 
like five shows in the Bay Area, in Oakland, Berkeley, San Francisco. You know, and we did it. And yeah, like you said, we had artists in Tanzania, uh, the Congo, um, Uganda. So yeah, so we were we're planning to do it again in LA, but this time I had UCLA in my pocket. So right. this time I uh, have uh, uh, more resources. But yeah, I mean. Dude, that was huge. I mean, we did that with no money. <laughs> it's just, just you know, I look, I look back on on hip hop history. Not only that, on not only that event, but all all of what we've done, we we just do it. And you know, it's not with a grant, it's not with a with a endowment, it's not with you know, hip hop link like money, you know, it's it's from our pockets. Right. So so we we laid the foundation and now today finally people are coming to us saying, okay, okay, quick pop, okay, okay, Keith. You know, here, 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 here's your here's your, you know, praise or money or something. Because we we did we did the work. Yeah, we did the work. Right. Right, right. I love that, man. Yeah. Yeah, and so no, that that's amazing, man, what you're what you're doing, what you what you, what you what you did with that. And then you've also received several awards for your advocacy work, you know, from the San Francisco Mayor's Disability Council, you know, uh, yeah. you won a local hero award in 2002, right? From the public television station KQED, right? Yeah, yeah, back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mean, like I say, you've been doing this a long time, man. It, 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 it's just mm. cool to, to, to meet people that are, that, and it's not like you're still just as passionate about it now as, yeah. as, as you were back then. Uh, as well as well, one, go ahead. Yeah, one one of the recent awards I just got like a couple months ago that came with money was, was the U.S. Arts, the, the United the United States of Artists, and that and I just I just won that like about three months ago. That's and awesome. So it's the cool. Yeah, the group of artists around the U.S. in different art forms. Okay. I think I wanted in writing. Okay. And that and, and that came with like fifty grand. So that 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 was huge. That's that's not bad. That 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 that'll go. I know exactly. That'll go towards something. <laughs> Oh, it's, it's gonna go toward the institute. So we, oh, okay. we we buy a building. So yeah, we have to buy that building. So no, no, no. That's awesome, yeah. man! Congratulations with that. And then, um, yeah. in 2014, you won the San Francisco Bayview. They named you the disability this year champion of disabled people in the media on on, yeah. on Black appreciation. Yeah. So you know, yeah, about, and that, yeah. 
Yeah, and that's huge because it came from the black newspaper. Right. You know, so that's huge. That's, that's I mean, that, that, that award is one of my best awards ever because it came from black people. Usually these awards come from people outside our community. Right. Which is cool, okay, but once you get an award or once you get seen by your own people, then that's right. huge. Definitely. Because for now, for now, my, my work, yeah, for now, my work and going forward is for black disabled people. You know, I spent years, decades of, you know, educating other people and working in other people's organizations. But now it's 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 all about, you know, black disabled people in the black community. Because the black community needs education on disability. Yes, we do. They've been yes, left behind. Yes, so. yes we do. We again like we, <laughs> you know, we were talking about it before we got on the air, but just dating, you know, and it's that's why I bring it up so often because it, it's so it's prevalent, man. And it, you know, and I just feel like there's so many women who are just uninformed and uneducated and quickly um, kind of put people like me, uh, people like myself. And I'm one of the ones that pretty articulate guy. I'm, you know, I've, I, I, myself, I, I consider myself to be, 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 be pretty well, you know, to, I speak well, I, I'm driven, you know, you know, I'm, I'm doing the things that I want to do. It's never easy. You know, but but unfortunately, you know, women sometimes look at money and income as the number one thing, and oftentimes it's like they're missing out on, on, on the things that are even more viable than that. You know, and I feel like mm-hmm. at times they just it comes back to them not being educated, no knowing that no treat us like human beings, treat us like men, respect us like men, like you would respect other people, other other. Able-bodied people, like men, treat us the same way. Give us the same opportunities. But again, what I realized too is, you can't. You can't. Some people just they just just won't see it that way. And you know, there's nothing. And I just try not to waste my time with people like that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I understand. Yeah, I mean, especially when when you get up there in age, it's just like you just. You just have no time for people like that, you know. Exactly, exactly, man. So, man, this has been—it's been such an amazing, an amazing time. And I, like I said, you, you talked about it before. You're pursuing your degree in anthropology from UCLA. What made you want to? What made you want to pursue your 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 PhD now? Well, you know, it's, it's a weird story. I mean, because I wasn't—I I, I wasn't. Thinking about a PhD, I was just doing the work. They called me. Okay, so know, UCLA. Um, so let me ask. So are you UCLA? Are you having to pay for this out of your pocket, or somebody, or this? Oh, you don't. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So, so what happened is UCLA, my, my advisor now, was doing a book around hip hop because my advisor is a hip hop studies teacher and. The books, books around hip hop. So my, so my advisor's uh, secretary or assistant um, is a mother with on um, an autistic son. Okay. So, so she said, "You, you have to get in contact with hip hop in New York," and this has to be part of the book. 
So when, when they got in contact with me and they, and they found out my history, it's like, Leroy, have you ever thought about doing a PhD? I was like, no, I'm just doing the work. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so they, they, they said, you know, you know, it, it can be a free ride if you want to do it. So I was like, okay, what the hell? I was like, okay, right. so. it's free. Yeah, I mean, cause, I mean, especially when it's free. And hey, look, if it's free, look, I'm all for people. I'm all for people getting those high level degrees. But after you get a after you get a certain age in life, unless you go get somebody else to pay for it, it's not worth it, in my opinion, because it, yeah. it's too expensive. Yeah. It's and I'm speaking specifically about people with yeah. color. Like I just don't see the. Getting a master's degree or PhD at fifty, at fifty five and sixty, you know that you have to pay out of your pocket for makes no sense to me. Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> makes no sense. but for me, is that I, I, I know my goal. My goal is I can get a job and all that shit. Right. My goal is to open open up the Crip Hop Institute. So right. So I, I know my goal. You know, and right, I right. come in and I come in and saying, Oh, you know, please, you know, follow me around or or take me like like I don't know anything. You know. Right. Right. I you know I know that I don't I don't want to teach in higher education. That's not me. Right. I know that this PhD is going to come back to the community. And we're going to open up that institute, and that's and that's and that's going to be you know my 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 legacy. You know, right. legacies. Right. 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 Yeah. Oh, man, I, I love that. I love that. And you recently. Published a, a most recent book about black disabled young men under Soulful Media Works. Yeah, so Soulful Media Works is under Keith Jones, and Keith Jones is the co-founder of Crip Hop. Right. Okay. So, yeah. So so Keith Jones has been doing his business for for fifteen years called this So Touching Experience. Okay. So 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 Keith so so Keith Jones is like you know let's combine and you can just put Crip Club under our company and we can just do it like that. So so we did that um, a couple of weeks ago. We got our logo copyrighted and everything is legal now. So. So 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 yeah. Um, so Paul Media Works is under Keith Jones' company, and they published that book. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful, man, wonderful. Man, so man, this has been a pleasure to 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 get to know you and and get to hear your story and all the great things you've done, man. I want to thank you um, for everything, man. Where can people connect with you on social media? Connect with you online. Yeah, uh, what's, the, what, what's the best way? Where, where, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm always on Facebook. People like, do you live on Facebook? But you know, that's that's where I can talk to Crip Hop artists. So I'm on Facebook. It's Leroy Moore, Crip Hop, Twitter, um, Instagram. Um, our our website is up. It's still going through a lot of tweaks, but it's up. It's CripHopNation.com. And yeah, 
Awesome, man. Well, like I said, it's been a pleasure, guys. And this has been another episode of the Encourage Inspire podcast. And I'm your host, Terrell Peart. Until next time, I'm out of here. Peace.